Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me with freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of the Just Had the Suffering Podcast, which is New York Sports Talk, along Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We're going to get ready for the hockey season. I mean, technically, it starts on Friday in overseas in Prague, I believe, with games in the Sharks and the Predators, but the real action is next week. I wanted to get something in there because next week's going to be very crazy, the baseball players, and I don't want to miss the hockey. So I'll be joined by Christopher, not the Mad Dog Russo, from the Sports in the Waiting Room Podcast. We're going to preview the NHL season for the locals, the Rangers, Islanders, Devils. Give you a little bit of general flavor of the hockey world as well. That's kind of Chris in just a bit. We're also going to do our week five NFL basically week five already with uh, Sports Grid's Kevin Walsh, who is a big Eagles guy, the last undefeated team in the NFL, the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll talk with Kevin in just a bit and make our picks for the week as well. Make sure you lock in the other show for six two minute drill. We'll talk about the lame nature of how the opposing teams are handling the Aaron Judge home run chase. So. Got some thoughts on that. It's coming up at the end of the show. If you like it here on the Justin the Suffering Podcast, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering or Favorite Podcast platforms. Find episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and starring as well. Help me the podcast even better going forward. So check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video versions of the conversations with Christopher and Kevin are going to be up on the YouTube page. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any fur- further ado, let's get to our opening tip. And set the stage for what this wild card series is going to look like here. And the fact the Mets are probably playing in it, not great. Let's get to that right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. Right, opening tip time here, and the wildcard round's set to begin on Friday and recording on Tuesday afternoon for the next round of games. Bars something very strange here. The Mets are going to be playing in this one because they blew the Adelaide in September. They get swept in Atlanta over the weekend, a series that was a basically a giant kick in the balls to their fans, who have a lot of them bought into this team this year. You had, they had the big argument on Twitter between the negative fans going, oh, you know, same old Mets. They always blow it. And the positive fans saying, you know, like, this is a different team. This really kind of has ruined what's become one of the best seasons in franchise history for a lot of the fans. Simply put, I mean, other than Jeff McNeil, a little bit of A.R. Escobar, and the non-Tyler McGill bullpen arms, nobody showed up for this game. Or this series in general. Jacob DeGrom average Friday night, six innings, Three home runs allowed, 11 strikeouts. Leaves at the ballista after 86 pitches. You thought that was going to be bad? The average of the rest of the pitchers got worse by the day. Max Scherzer thoroughly mediocre on Saturday night. Mets lose 4-2. Chris Bassett can't get out of the third inning on Sunday. He gets bombed. Mets lose again. The offense did not hit at all. Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso didn't really do anything, which is a huge problem. They are the two big stars of this offense. This line does not have much depth in it. I mean, you're getting seeing Tyler Naquin, Luis Guillorme getting huge at bats in these in these games. That's not great. This line is really hurting Starling Marte, and I mean, he's been out for about a month. He got hit by the pitch with my Mitch Keller in Pittsburgh. 
the broken finger, swollen, still not down. He tried hitting off a tee on Monday. Did not go great, so don't expect to see him in uh, the wild card series. The Mets right now going there, most likely against the Padres, who beat them four out of six this year, including two out of three in City Field in July. That's not the big deal to me. The big deal is here, the pitching is going to be very tight in this series, which is usually the Mets' big advantage. The Mets right now would have, assuming, again, we're operating the assumption here the Braves do take care of business here, win the division. The Mets do not pitch Jacob DeGrom in 162. They had DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett lined up against Hugh Darvish, Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove for the Padres. That's going to be a very tight series because the Mets placed those same three pitchers in July. Lost to uh, for Hugh Darvish usually owns the Mets. Blake Snell's a lefty, and he has never been you know, great overall, but the Mets have trolled lefties all year long. But overall, the Mets should have a slight edge pitching-wise because, again, you're not expecting those three guys to give you clunkers like they did last weekend. The Padre lineup also is not as nearly as dangerous as the Braves lineup, so that should help the Mets. The Mets being at home will help. But the Padres still have two legitimate stars in Manuel Chad and Juan Soto, which, you know, those guys can wreck games. Especially the Mets are only able to scratch out like two runs. Those two guys hit a couple home runs and the Mets could lose a game. What this also does here, it puts more danger into the Mets season because they now are going to have to get through this round before you deal with the Dodgers in the division series because that's the side of the bracket ended up on. Now they lose in the division. The Mets did beat the Dodgers in the season series, but you're not going to line up Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer for game one because they went to the wild card game. If you sweep the Padres and get lucky, you can start Chris Bassett in game one. That'll be fantastic. And then line up the other two guys games two and three. But if you have to go through all three games to get there, Look at Tywan Walker in game one. That's not great. You have to get there first, though. So that's the most important factor here. We're not going to the Dodgers yet if you're a Mets fan. Get through this wild card series. The other series here right now, these are as of Tuesday afternoon. This could change because Phillies and Padres are about game separate. Phillies have a tiebreaker, so the Phillies do end up winning their last two games or the Padres drop a game in there. If they finish tied, the Phillies do get past them and they would play the Mets. And the Cardinals would be hosting the Padres. But right now, the Cardinals, Phillies, the other matchup right now in the NL. The Phillies are live underdogs here because they can throw Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler in the first two games of the series. The Cardinals are a more complete team. They have a much better defensive grouping. They have a great lineup this year. I mean, with you got, obviously, the two big guys in Paul Goldschmidt who's winning the NL MVP and Nolan Arenado. Albert Pujols turned back the clock. And he's hitting like 2007 hour poo holes. The Phillies here, I feel like, if they're going to get out of this series, they have to win the first two games. Because the Cardinals are outlast them, especially if they can get into that Philly bullpen, which has been better, but not great. And the Philly defense is still questionable. I feel like the Phillies have to win, have Nola and Wheeler dominate those games if they're going to get out of that division series, into out of that wild card division series. Guardians Rays. This is the series the Yankee fans are looking forward to here because this is who the Yankees can play because it comes out of their side of the bracket. Both these teams can pitch. The Guardians did just take two out of three from the Rays. I'm the Yankees. I would rather see Cleveland come through here. I know this is a young team. They did beat the Yankees in this series in Cleveland back in back in July. But this is a very young baseball team. They might be intimidated by the boogie down Bronx in October with the 50,000 screaming fans and all the ghosts and all that. The Rays, on the other hand, are not afraid of the Yankees. They have beaten up the Yankees in big spots over the years. They get they pushed them hard down the stretch this year. I want no part of Tampa Hall Yankee fans. So I'll be big Guardians fans over the next couple of days. The last one here, Blue Jays Mariners. 
The headline here is obviously Seattle finally snaps the playoff drought after 21 years missing the postseason. They're back. This series, I think, is very simple. This is whether the Seattle pitching staff can shut down Toronto's lineup. The Mariners do not have enough offense to win slugfest with that Toronto lineup. They're going to need Luis Castillo. They're going to need Robbie Ray. Presumably, one. I assume Logan Gilbert would be the third option there. Could be uh, George Kirby. I assume it's going to be Gilbert. Those three guys have to shut them down in Toronto, which is not going to be easy. So this is certainly a fascinating first look at this series, see how it looks, how it's going to impact the playoffs going forward here. Because remember, this impacts these teams' ability to set their, their rotations for going forward here. will be interesting to watch, especially since you now have the Mets in one side of this. We will keep an eye on that. We'll talk more about the playoffs next week. But up next, we're going to get into the hockey with Chris Veruso. But first, listen to this call from MSG Sam Rosen of last year's uh, Artemi Panarin overtime goal to win game seven of the first round series against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Moves in. He shoots. He scores. He scores. Rangers. Rangers. Rangers win. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. Getting ready. Hockey season starting up in the next couple of weeks here. I wanted to get this in before all the baseball playoff craziness starts here. Join me today to get us ready for the hockey season from a local perspective. The host of the Sports in the Waiting Room podcast, Christopher, not the Mad Dog Russo. Chris, how are you? I am great, Mike. It's a cold, rainy day but on and a cold, rainy week. But honestly, just being able to talk about the frozen violence that is the National Hockey League really is uplifting my spirit. Oh, yeah, it's definitely great. And I got to say here, I mean, like, there was the offseason in general. I mean, this player movement in all over the place is crazy. The Rangers made some moves. A lot of guys went to new markets. They had the whole saga with Giant Goudreau changing teams, the Flames making big moves to replace him. I feel there was a lot of crazy stuff happening this offseason. Yeah, what I like about this offseason actually is I, I think there should be a lot more parity in the parity in the league this year. I think Ottawa got better. I think Columbus obviously got better. I think the the Devils got a little better. Obviously, they're really progressing. That's just for the Eastern Conference. And then, you know, you look at a few teams in the Western Conference as well. Edmonton is still going to be scary. I think there are honestly maybe four or five teams that could hoist the Stanley Cup. And I will also say it's interesting to see, it's going to be interesting, especially to see what happens at both ends of the Kachuk deal, the, the Calgary Florida deal, because a lot of good guys went, a lot of good guys went Calgary's way as well. And I don't, I don't know if they're going to be more top-heavy, but they're going to be deeper. Yeah, that trade's really fascinating here. And start with the Rangers here. So for people who've been living under a rock are not the biggest, like, hardcore hockey fan, hockey fans, hockey observers, as they will. Like, give us the general, like, summary about the Rangers that have doing this offseason. Okay, so I think, first off, they were right on not bringing back Ryan Strome because he just missed too many big opportunities. He did a lot of great things for the team. He really did just miss too many huge opportunities, particularly, I think the first one you probably think of is Game 5 against Tampa, which was, you know, or probably the biggest, maybe the biggest turning point, actually, considering they still had home ice up until then. But I would say signing, you figured they were going to sign Cop or Vetrano. They were going to sign one of those guys. They brought back neither. Now, the upside for them is that Vetrano went to Anaheim. He went to the Western Conference and not even a real big contender in the Western Conference. And Cop went, uh, Cop went to, he's still within the division, 
uh, I believe Detroit, I rightly think Detroit still has to be, regardless, he's still in the Eastern Conference, but Cop at least didn't go, if you're a Rangers fan, to Devils, Isles, Flyers, Pens, Bruins, maybe Washington. He went to Detroit, and he's also from Michigan. So that's, you know, at least you can at least say that. But Vin, Vinny Trocek was a huge signing. He's a guy who's very experienced. He's a great two-way forward. And honestly, they can replace those two losses, the Cop Toronto losses, with Brennan Offman, who's supposed to be, who looks great in the minors. And then apparently they've mended fences with Vitaly Kravtsov. Apparently he wants to be back at the garden. So he's obviously a guy with a lot of talent. They should be fine there in terms of forwards. I will say, I don't think they gave Nils Lundqvist a fair shake. I don't think they gave him enough of an opportunity. I thought he was a very good defenseman. I thought he definitely deserved more of an opportunity, obviously, than Patrick Nemeth. By the way, that's the best thing they probably did this offseason was let Patrick Nemeth go because he was, I think, I think their biggest liability the entire season. And, you know, he had his bright moments, but that was, I think that was a great move for them. But I will say, despite letting go of Lundqvist, I think they got a deep, I think they got a pretty good return for him considering how little they actually saw of him. And I will also say they got a good return for Alexander Georgiev, a guy who is, I think, better than some Ranger fans claim. I've got a lot of friends who are Ranger fans who just who have, who have been very critical of Georgiev, but he is a guy who, look, he had to play in the shadow of Igor Shosturkin, who is, if not the best, then at least the second-best goaltender in the world right now, maybe behind Vasilevsky, if anything. And won the Vezina last year, had an incredible year. Georgiev could be a starter for most of the teams in the NHL, and that's obviously why the Colorado Avalanche have picked him probably to be their next starter just after winning the Stanley Cup. But I think they've also deepened their goaltending when you look at a couple of moves they made, including including uh, Louis Domingue. And you know they should be they should be fine. They should be probably about as good a team this year, maybe a little better. Let's go in on some of these things here. Starting with uh, Vinny Trocek being the two two C, and that spots in the revolving door for them for years trying to figure out what they want to do with it. We have the rumors about the. Uh, the trade for Eichel up up through last year before he got moved to Vegas. They signed Zabanajad long term. Thought it was be strong. They trade for Cop. They end up keeping neither. They bring Trocek in instead instead of promoting Philip Heal internally going somewhere else. So, what do you think Trocek does with this team? The most important thing I'd say is win faceoffs because the Rangers for years that has been their bugaboo. I mean, they struggled on a power play for a long time, but they've always had. I, I would say for as long as I've watched hockey, they have had. Great goaltending. Clearly, they have Henrik Lundqvist, who I could argue is Mount Rushmore of goaltenders. You have Igor Shosturkin, who's one of the best best goaltenders in the world right now. They've always had solid defense, usually pretty strong coaching, and fairly young, good defensive team. The PK is usually pretty good. The power play has struggled. It's generally been the power play and faceoffs. For years, faceoffs have killed them. That's been a big issue. So to have Vincent Trocek there, and not only have him win draws, but have him win draws on the second line, because usually they have maybe like third, fourth line, line guys or their big draw guys, couldn't really do it as much on the top line, so that's that's huge. But he's a great two-way forward, he plays well at both ends of the ice, and he has an opportunity, I think he was he's a, good, he's a much better offensive forward than I think his stats might even imply, because you know, he was in Florida, and then he was in Carolina, which is a, a, system, a great system, but it's honestly more like Carolina almost seems like the old Devils, in, or, or maybe the Islanders now, where 
it's a great defensive system, but it might be more restrictive of players. And so I, I think especially with guys like Panarin and Sabanajad, guys like Adam Fox, Trocheck will have the ability to be more creative considering his personnel. Yeah, certainly interesting to see here as well. Honestly, the big highlights from last year was Chris Kreider obliterating his career high in goals. He was 52, never had 28 in a season before last year. So obviously, you expect some sort of regression here. He's not going to do 52 again. Like, what do you think is a realistic target for Rangers to hope for? Is it 40 goals? Is it 35? Like, what do you think they're looking for here out of Kreider? Uh, I, well, look, you know, ideally, if you're a, if you're the Rangers, he scores he scores 92. Yeah. But I would say, yeah, he ties Gretzky, but I would say a realistic goal, 30 to 35. That's pretty fair because I think you know, he's, he's been rather consistent. But he's still been a great player, even though he, even before the 52-goal season, even though he hasn't scored 28 yet. He had still been a great player for the Rangers. He is becoming one of their all-time great players, one of their longest-tenured players, and he's incredible in the postseason. He's, he's, made, he's one of the most clutch playoff postseason players in the history of the organization. But I think... He at least set the bar a little higher last year for future endeavors. So I think he should end up with 30 to 35 goals for next year and maybe for the next few years. He's really been rather consistent. He's a much better overall player, I think, when he wants to be. He has he kind of turns his hockey IQ on and off, and I've talked about talked to hockey people about this. But he is a very good two-way player. Honestly, and he's not a bad, not a bad passer either. When he's just with the right people, he is a more complete player. So thirty to thirty-five goals, I think, is a fair target. Yeah, it's fair. And speaking of the other guy, the unworld of the year last year, Igor Shesterkin, the uh, goaltender here. I mean, he he played his fifth year games, but when he was on, he was incredible. I mean, like he stole a bunch of games to the Rangers last year. He did have some help from Georgiev carrying him when he was hurt for a little bit. I mean, obviously. The Rangers need to be as close to that version as possible, maybe even take up a few more games as now that their back goes from Georgiev to Yaroslav Alok. So what do you think they expect out of Shesterkin this year? Well, you know, again, I think it's, it might be fair to argue that that was his peak. His, for one year, that would be his, his best year for his career, even though he's very, very young. But, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily fair, again, to compare him to Lundqvist, but I will say Lundqvist somehow took seven years to win his only Vezina title, while Shosturkin took what three, I believe. Yeah, with an even an even stronger season than Lundqvist's Vezina season. And like Lundqvist in 2012, he was a finalist for the Hart Trophy. He honestly could have won, although I think Matthew, I'm not a good it's McDavid, but either McDavid or Matthews is obviously a, a great choice. He should still probably be the favorite, I think, to win the Vezina. And it should be interesting to see what he does, most importantly, with probably a better team in front of him. Yeah, that's for sure here. Let's also go ahead to next up here. We're going to go to the young guys here, because a lot of young guys in this team here. Obviously, the kid line's a big deal in the playoffs with Lafreniere, Kako, and Heel playing together. Kratzoff is back. We have a lot of young defense in here. And as much as we're saying, oh, some of these veterans could step back, I think it could be offset by some of the progression from the younger players. What do you think about that? Yeah, in particular, this is this should be the year for Lafreniere, Capo, Capo Caco, and Philip Heedle. Three guys who, like, they would not have been where they, as far as they had gotten. They would have not. They would not have gotten to play 
Tampa and forced a game six in the Eastern Conference final, if not for those three guys. They wouldn't have knocked off Pittsburgh, come back to win that series. They wouldn't have upset Carolina. Those three guys were, I, I don't know if I would say they were the best line in terms of scoring in that postseason, but they were probably the most consistent line. And I will say that game, oh God, was it game one, I think there's a score run. There was a goal. I think Heedle sets, sets up in front for a one-timer. I think maybe was the best shift they had all season. Those three guys, you know, if you're Gerard Gallant, you, ha- you have to keep those guys together and expect big things this year. I'm not saying, you know, they're all going to score 100 points, but I think 60 for each of those guys, I'd say 180 points at least between the three of those guys is a reasonable target. I, I couldn't honestly see it. Alexi Lafreniere has, I will also say, Alexi Lafreniere is a much better defensive forward than people realize. He gets back. He's a good defensive forward. And then, you know, Fox still needs to, well, I mean, Fox obviously regressed a little bit last year, but also because Kale McCarr had a big year. And Zach Jones is, is a guy who is finally going to receive more responsibility, I believe. So that defensive core should be big. And Keandre Miller continues to make huge strides to the point where I think he could be a Norris candidate at some point. Yeah, it's very exciting to see this young group come together here. And obviously, they made a big run last year. They went over the conference final, lost to the Lightning, and this, the rest of the league conference is still strong in there. I mean, Carolina is great. Florida made some moves. Tampa is still the reigning conference champions here. Like, what is a realistic year for these for this Rangers team here? It's like, do you think this is one of the things where you know, maybe they take a step back or take two steps forward next year in the Cup final that they can build off of last year? I honestly think they could play be playing in the Stanley Cup final this year because I, you know what? I genuinely think I know they went out and got Burns and Pacioretty, but I think the Hurricanes got worse. I, they replaced half their defensive core, and I know D'Angelo was very inconsistent, especially in that Rangers series, but also just immature in that postseason. But I genuinely think, you know, the Hurricanes also lost guys like uh, Brendan Smith went to the Devils. I think they actually got worse. I, I swear. I, I think that series, the Hurricanes were not really what I thought they were because I thought they were going to take out the Rangers maybe in seven games, or probably a little more easily at least than seven games I did not think uh, I think once game three rolled around I think we realized Carolina was not really who they thought that we were I will say that I think the Hurricanes got worse I think the Penguins only got older I was surprised that because the last five years they've been complacent they've just held on to all those guys and haven't really they've gotten they haven't gotten out of the first round since 2018 so they've really just kind of been stuck in the mud and now it's just the point where those guys I think are just going to try to stick around to the end of their career I I would say the Flyers are still it got awful. The Devils got better, Ottawa got better, Columbus got better. I and Florida got a little better, but Florida again was also, if you're a Panthers fan, very disappointing. Where they narrowly escaped Washington after that game five, and then they just got picked apart by Tampa Bay. And even then, Tampa Bay lost Andre Pilat, and that's a guy they can only do so much to replace, as opposed to the other guys they replaced, like Yanni Gord and Blake Coleman. So I don't think any of those teams that got better really got to the Rangers level. And remember the Rangers had Tampa Bay on the ropes last year. They did. If they scored one more goal in game three and this series is gone. And I think there was a questionable like game five. I think Rangers Tampa was one of the worst officiated games. I think favoring Tampa I've ever seen. So I think, yeah, I genuinely think they could be playing in the Stanley cup final this year. 
Yeah, that's for sure. Let's go to the team we thought was going to be contending for the Stanley Cup final last year, which is the Islanders. And obviously, they sort of had a crazy uh, offseason going on here with all this stuff. And then everything sort of went off on the rails. They had the COVID outbreak early. They had the long road trip. Things fell, fell apart here. What did they do this offseason to sort of uh, change the mix up here? There wasn't, a, there wasn't a lot of change, I would say, within the roster itself. Of course, Zdeno Char retiring, it's not necessarily the biggest killer hockey-wise considering he's in his 24th season, but he's a solid defensive defenseman even at, even at the end of his career and was a big locker room presence. So yeah, he was the one guy who, he was one of the few guys who had really had deep postseason runs, like deep, like gone to the final on this team. Obviously, they made the conference final each of the last two years before that. The Islanders also, they picked up Alexander Romanov. I don't know what to say really about that deal. I think the jury's still out on that one. His stats are incredible. And they might have given up maybe a little too much for him. But the most important thing really was the Barry Trotz firing. I thought that was a terrible decision. And Lou Amarillo might be the best for his career, might be the best active general manager and one of the best ever. I think he's done a great job with the Islanders in building this organization. Obviously, he did an incredible job with the Devils. And he's built this team into a great system, but I, I really do not understand the Trots firing. I honestly equate it with the Bruins firing Bruce Cassidy, where there was just nothing wrong there. It, 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 it had nothing to do with Trots. I think it was the fact that the team had to play uh, hurt. The, the team, you know, so many guys had COVID, and then they played so long on the road because they were still constructing UBS. So, I, not the best offseason for the Islanders, I don't think, and the trots, the trots firing in particular is a big problem. Yeah, I didn't get that when I saw they did it because I'm like, yeah, I get I get that, you know, Barry Trotz usually has a short shelf life with some of these teams, but, like, you could say, like, the first couple of years he was there, they were great, and they were, like, literally, like, a game away from the Stanley Cup final twice, and then last year sort of goes out of control. It's always felt like Lou Lavarello sort of throwing him overboard saying, you know, like, I don't like where this ship is going here. I'm going to get him out one year too early instead of one year too late. Yeah, I think you can argue now, honestly, especially because Arbor was there for so long. I think you could honestly argue now that Barry Trotz is the second best coach in the history of the New York Islanders behind Al Arbor, who led that team to four Stanley Cup titles, led them to the, to the Cup Final five times. I think was still there when they went to the Conference Final in 93 and upset Pittsburgh after they had won back-to-back years. So, you know, Jack Capuano was great, but I, I, I genuinely think Barry Trotz might be the best coach they have had since Al Arbor left the organization. To get to the conference final twice is just impressive for any team, but for an Islander team that has not really got had not really gotten near that level of their early '80s teams since '93. I think it's terribly unfair to him. The team is well built; they have a great system. Again, the Islanders are kind of like Carolina; they're all they are built kind of like the old Devils. And even two years ago, they had adapted. They got back to the conference final without. Robin Leonard, who had won the Vezina, I believe. So, you know, I, I don't. So clearly, it wasn't just Robin Leonard. It was the system. The system for the Islanders worked, and I don't think. Yeah, you know, I, I think the reason they again they were the best team that did not make the playoffs last year, at least within the Eastern Conference. So, biggest issue was half their team got COVID. They had to push back all these games, and they had to play. I'm pretty sure it was their first 13 games on the road because of the construction building UBS. I don't think they started at UBS until November. So I, I, I don't, I don't, I really don't get it. I don't, you should not expect anyone else to lead this team right now. Yeah, that's for sure here. I mean, last year, obviously like 
was such a disaster year for them. But like a lot of the roster, I think, is still the same. They haven't done too much to tweak things here. Do you think last year was the fluke and that they're going to be bouncing back right in the mix again for a deep playoff run? I think last year is a sign that, oh, you know, like this is the on the way down now. And they, that's why Lou sort of acted proactively and got rid of trots. Well, you know, I think it was, in some ways, it was a sign to, sign to come, considering the Islanders are one of the oldest teams in the league. It's considering the age of the average Islander player, I, I think it, it could be a sign to come. But I think it was also a fluke just because, again, they reached the conference final the last two years. I don't think you regressed that quickly in a normal year. You'd probably get to the second round, get knocked out in the first round, whatever. But missing the playoffs is kind of is something pretty rare after two seasons of such success. And again, half their team got COVID. They had to play so long. They probably had to play a month, probably about a month or so on the road before having to play at UBS. So it was an abnormal season in general for them. Very, very difficult, especially, you know, you think about it, those two teams they that reached the conference final, 2020, they were in the bubble. And 2021, the fan, it was still a, kind of limited in terms of crowds and it was weird because you know it was also different with the canadian system and you know how the divisions work in the playoffs so generally yes i think it was a fluke and i think they'll be look i don't know if they'll be in the conference final this year but i think they'll be back in the playoffs yeah let's go to the other team that's not been in the playoffs a little bit here is the devils and they were pretty busy this obviously you want to give everybody sort of a quick wrap up here what the devils were doing yeah, so big move, obviously, is they, ma- they make a move in signing an experienced, versatile, goal-scoring leader in Andre Pilat, a guy who's won two Stanley Cup titles, been to the final three straight years. He's been to the Cup final four times. He was there with Tampa in 2015. He's been a career member of the Lightning. And that is, I think, I think ultimately a great move in that the Devils have never really been, up until that ridiculous Kovalchuk contract, uh, I, the Devils have never really been a big spending team. They've really built through the draft, but they have, I would say they at least deepen their goaltending. I don't know if their goaltending got better. I, I think Black, uh, Blackwood is probably still the guy out of the three on that roster, but they at least deepen their goaltending by signing Vitek Banachek. And they also saw, I think this is an underrated signing. They bring in ben, Brendan Smith to ensure the back end. He's a good defensive defenseman. We saw him with the Rangers. We saw him with Carolina. We saw him with Detroit. And he's also... Remember, I think when Tom Wilson got the the quote-unquote maximum in terms of that fine, that Brendan Smith was the only guy, because they didn't really have a fighter, they didn't have reads at that point, Brendan Smith was the only guy who really could, let alone did, stand up to Wilson after that one. So he's a guy who is very, very good for that organization. And frankly, they also, look, I've, I've had friends who are Devil fans who just have called out Ty Smith often, time and time again. And so I've heard they really stole John Marino from Pittsburgh for him and get rid of Ty Smith. They lose P.K. Subban to retirement, but he wasn't, frankly, that much of a factor in the last couple of years. So overall, I think they got better. They are, they are a, honestly, I think they're a much better offensive team than they ever were when they were winning the Cup. Yeah, I think they're an interesting spot compared to like the rest of the division here because obviously, I mean, you have the Rangers and Carolina up on top of the division here. Columbus made made the big moves here. They land Johnny Goudreau, which I was expecting to have happen here. I mean, the Penguins sort of maintain status quo. They're kind of slipping the end of last year. Same for Washington. Dells are kind of that spot where like 
Is this the year where they take that big leap forward here? They've been trying to add big splashes, whether it was uh, Palat this year, Dougie Hamilton last year, trying to add some veteran leadership to that very talented young group. that had a lot of high lottery picks. So, like, you think this is the year that the Devils are pushing for, like, a wild card spot? Yeah, they should, they should be pushing for a wild card spot. I don't know if they'll make the playoffs this year, but it, it should be a year where they look, I think, even better than they did last year. I think they actually looked I think they actually looked fairly good last year. They knocked off some of the best teams. I mean, they, they got into just trap meets with, you know, beat, they beat Colorado and Edmonton. They won some big games. So they can beat some of the bigger teams. It just needs to be more consistent, and they need to have better defense and better goaltending. Now, look, I, I think I, I read the Hockey News had their preview for the Metropolitan Division. And for some reason, they took the Devils to finish last. And I was very surprised at that, especially because I think the Flyers should be worse. And I think the Flyers organizationally just look way worse, honestly. You know, especially with what they did with Yandel. It, it, it just looks like a more downtrodden organization. The Devils, I think, have picked up a lot more. And then you have the possibility. I, I know I said the Islanders should make the playoffs, but there's the possibility of an Islander downturn. And again, Pittsburgh has been complacent over the last five years. You know, Columbus is still kind of up and coming. They're kind of in the same place the Devils are. Uh, you know, it, it really is going to depend on health and goaltending for New Jersey. Goaltending is going to be the biggest part. If they can get better on the back end, they will be a good team, and they will at least be in contention for the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. It's a year for the local front here, but obviously on a big picture scale here, like the season's starting a couple about a week to 10 days away. We've got a little bit more preseason to go through here. Like as of day of recording here, like who would be your picks to make the Stanley Cup Finals? I, you know what? I actually think the Rangers are going to play in the final this year. I, I do think they're, they're going to be there because I, I think this is the, you know, they came very close to overtaking Tampa. I think they kind of exceed, they, I think they expanded their window a little bit on the front end. I think they expanded their championship window on the front end where people thought maybe it would take another year or two before they would really compete. And I was, you know, I was thinking they could play in the conference final. I had said that last year. So I think Tampa, obviously, you lose a lot. It's very tough to replace him. And they can only, with, you know, with any budget, you can only hold on to that core for so long. So I think the Rangers will actually play in the final this year. That's, that's my pick. I would say in the Western Conference, you know, I think Colorado is going to repeat. I think it's a... I think the Eastern Conference is much more loaded than the Western Conference. I'll say that again. It's probably up to Colorado and Edmonton. We'll see about Calgary. I don't know. I mean, we'll figure it out. And I will say, not to say that they're even going to be even a playoff contender, but I think Anaheim honestly got a lot better. I just, just want to point that out. But, yeah, I think it's probably going to be Colorado again. I think Colorado's going to win the whole thing again. They, I, they, I know they lost Nazem Kadri and they changed goaltenders. But, again, Georgiev is a capable goaltender who can prove himself. And I don't think any team, including Edmonton, Tampa Bay, or the Rangers, really got to their level during the offseason, even though they maybe got a little worse. Yeah, I mean, technically, I'm looking at this right now. The regular season technically starts on Friday in Prague with the Global Series with San Jose and Nashville, which is a interesting choice by the NHL. But you're looking stateside here. The opening night doubleheader on Tuesday the 11th here. you got the Lightning coming to Tampa Bay. Lightning coming to New York, taking on the Rangers here. And then the Golden Knights taking on the Kings. So, interesting start to the season for sure. Yeah, it's going to be intense. It should be a fun year. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll be with Fossil. Keep up with your podcast.
Yeah. So uh, I am. Uh, the podcast is Sports in the Waiting Room, and that's the title. Pretty much started because of this you know, height of the pandemic, and we I'll talk about sports for about an hour or so. It depends on the week. Forty-five minutes to an hour could go over depending on the week. We release it on Wednesdays. You can find it on just wherever you get your podcasts. And you can look at my Twitter at Chris Russo, Chris Russo 98, T-H-R-I-S-R-U-S-S-O 98. And that's where you can get links to it if you really, uh, if you really want. We haven't been, it was not on last week, but honestly, just because I've been getting over, we've all been kind of a little bit sick. So uh, just getting back from that, but should have one up tomorrow, hopefully. So, or as, as we record this tomorrow, we're recording this on Tuesday. So should have it up for Wednesday, the 5th, next episode. So uh, yeah, appreciate it, Mike. Yes. Yeah, so this, this is also be out the 5th as well. So it should be out. His new episodes will be out at the same time as this one is. So if you're not listening to this one. Check out Chris's new, new episode of the podcast. Chris, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Mike, thank you so much. Show me the money. All right, show me the money. NFL picks are back for week number five. Join me today back on the picks after a one-year hiatus. The one of the best guys over at Sports Grid, Kevin Walsh Jr. is here. Kevin, how are you? I'm good, Mike. Uh, excited to be talking again. NFL season, uh, like a month in, man. It, it's already going a little too fast for my liking. I hear that, man. Now the, we're in the first full year now of legalized sports betting in New York, in New York State and a lot of the, these markets here. So how has the betting been going for you so far this year? Yeah, I, I was able to get into a, a nice groove this past uh, weekend, uh, which felt good. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a tricky sport right now. I, I do love my player props, but we are transitioning into a period, uh, I think, of the NFL calendar where I'll start to feel a little more comfortable uh, with some of these sides and, and spreads. Uh, and, it, you know, the, the scoring was really down to open up the season last week. We saw some better spots. So if that can open it up, it'll make these totals feel, uh, feel a little more in play. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. I'm just seeing some of these numbers this year. I mean, I've had a rough feel that rough go this year trying to get a feel for what's going on with the situation. But mm-hmm. I think that like I as this year goes on, I feel I get more comfortable. And I do think that one thing is very comfortable is your Eagles because I mean they're the only undefeated team left in the league. They were down mm-hmm. early in Jacksonville and they pick up a big comeback win here. What what's the big takeaway from that game? So I actually think it was the kind of victory that you need to see from any team that you're going to take a legitimate as a Super Bowl contender, which is a come from behind win in what looked like a, a pretty reasonable danger spot. You know, this is a Jacksonville team that is clearly improved with Trevor Lawrence now in his sophomore season and a year to year upgrade at the head coach position that cannot be overstated going from Urban Meyer to a Super Bowl winner with the Eagles, of course, in Doug Peterson. They get a pick six. They jump out to a 14 nothing lead. And the Jags didn't even hold that lead into halftime. The Eagles and this offense absolutely has an ability to turn it on. I, I think they boast one of the best defenses in the entire National Football League 
as well. I, I thought it, you could argue it was their most impressive win of the season, honestly, to me. Yeah, that's for sure here. And obviously, it feels a little weird to say, you know, there's one undefeated team left in week five, but it is the Eagles. And their schedule, you look at it, you know, it's pretty solid. They could have a reasonable chance to get the number one seed in the NFC here if they take care of their business here. So, what is the ceiling mm-hmm. of this Eagles team this year? Yeah, I, I mean, the absolute ceiling is, is to win a Super Bowl. If you're the number one seed in your conference, I, I don't know how that couldn't be your ceiling. And the Eagles right now are favorites to finish with that number one spot. They have the highest win total of any team, not just in the NFC, in the entire league. Them, the Bills are both 12 and a half, but the Eagles have stronger juice on their own. So uh, I... Now, uh, obviously, it's tough. You, you have to prove it, right? There's a lot of guys in, uh, with proven track records. Your Pat Mahomes, your Tom Brady's will, will have a lot to say about it. But I don't know how anyone could say the Eagles' ceiling isn't Super Bowl champions. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting point here. And they have a very interesting matchup here in Week 5 because obviously a lot of people in Philly are going to look ahead to that Dallas game Week 6 or something nice. That's with Dak mm-hmm. probably on the way back here. But they go on the road against the Cardinals here, where two and two, they got their act together, the best ever of the season against Carolina last week. And I feel like the Eagles are not careful here. They kind of look ahead to Dazzle in this game, and they could get tripped up in. Yeah, obviously the Dallas game is big, but when you're four and zero, you're, I would think, we, we, you know, we'll find out. But you know, I go, hey man, we'd be five and zero, right? Yeah. Not that the Eagles are sad; they're saying we're going to go unbeaten, but. I think it can help keep you focused. Also, they got a scare last week from Jacksonville, as we said, down for nothing. So consecutive start, uh, I don't necessarily boost for the birds. Is the Arizona Cardinals game is in Arizona. I know that might sound a little silly to some people. But we, we saw it all of last season, and it's carried over here. 0-2 at home, Arizona, not covering an Oh to open up this season on the road covering in both games and will actually winning outright as an underdog in both games. Yeah, look at the number of that game too. They're five and a half point favorites. I think it's an interesting spot number for you looking at in that game as well. Yeah, it's, it's kind of that dead zone. If you really like the Arizona Cardinals, you wait. Maybe you get a six, right? Could it go to six and a sure. But you, you have patience there. And, you know, because if it, if it goes from five and a half to four and a half, to like them at four and a half. So you want to see how the line moves throughout the Absolutely. Let's go ahead and get to the picks is the reason why you're here. Last week, I right, Charlie Borders was here. He actually went 3-0 on the week. He had the Ravens getting the three and a half against the Bills at home. They mm-hmm. cover the number. He had the Jets plus three. They won outright in Pittsburgh. And the Titans plus three and a half. They won outright with the Indianapolis, the Colts here. So nice. 3-0 with three dogs is a very impressive feat. Yeah. I mean, back in the dog. Uh, is uh, always a, a nice approach. Uh, I think sometimes if you can play overreactions on, on a week-to-week basis and three uh, knows some some good stuff. Tough act to follow. Absolutely. Here I went two and one on the week last week. I went heads up with him on the Bill Raven game. I had the Bills. I lost that one. We had a family play on the mm. Jets, which I never expected to happen. But I got that one correctly here. And I had the Raiders laying the two at home against the Broncos in the must-win spot here. They did come through. I feel. First winning week of the season. I felt good about those Raider jet picks. Yeah, I mean, I, I, as you should, they, they obviously both came in. Uh, being willing to back that desperate Vegas squad there, I, I think, was uh, a nice move. Some people, oh, man, how concerning is this for Denver? I, I don't think too much. Again, it, it's hard to push a, a team with the Vegas 
talent level to own four in their own building. The Broncos got their best look, and who knows? That game might have looked a little different if not for a Melvin Gordon fumble that was returned for a touchdown. All right, absolutely here. So now we are set up for the picks. So we're going to do three and three as always. You're up first. We're going with your first pick of the week. Yeah, so it's a really interesting slate here. I wish that I was able to do this uh, when the Dolphins were laying just the three, but uh, I like Miami Dolphins here with Teddy Bridgewater laying three and a half against the New York Jets. Teddy Bridgewater uh, has a phenomenal against the spread mark in his career. The Jets have not covered a home game yet this season, and you've got the Miami Dolphins with a rest advantage coming off of Thursday night football. Yeah, that's an interesting spot here at the Dolphins, too, because obviously they're coming off the extra rest, but the back of quarterback thing is interesting. The Jets didn't play well down the stretch. You haven't seen them play a complete game yet here, but for me, that's a stay away. I could see the Dol- I see that going either way. Yeah, it's going to be... Uh... Look, maybe Zach Wilson turns his team around, but uh, I'll, I'll let him prove it to me two weeks in a row. Mike. All right, we're going to pick number two. All right, so for pick number two, uh, I'm going to go with a home dog, and the Washington Commanders getting two and a half points here. Uh, maybe, you know, if you wait on this, could you get to three later in the week? We'll see. But I think the Commanders are being a little undersold here in the market. I, I don't think Tennessee is completely turned their season around. Obviously, two nice back-to-back victories, but I think home field advantage could be a difference maker for Washington. I like him at home catching the points. Yeah, there's a big spot with the Titans, too. I feel like now everybody's going to be jumping back on them because, oh, you know, they came out, they won two in a row, they beat the Colts up pretty badly here, but I still don't trust that team. Uh, it's going to be uh, an interesting spot, though, for Tennessee, obviously uh, trying to contend for an AFC South crown of division that they were able to win uh, last year as well, of course, and, and the number one seed in the AFC. All right, absolutely. We're going with your last pick of the week. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Rams, uh, laying four and a half against Dallas. This number was four a little bit earlier on, but I think you're getting some value here based on the Rams' ugly performance on Monday Night Football against the 49ers. I think Cooper Rush is the quarterback here, and while it's been a phenomenal start to his NFL career, uh, I think that stops with the Rams in a nice little get-right spot at home. Yeah, it's an interesting game for sure. I don't really have a feel of it, why I sort of stay away from that game, especially with the Dallas defense being as good as it is. Four and a half is an interesting number, in that, not my opinion, for that game. Yeah, again, the, the fours were out there. That would have been a nice number to get. We'll see what happens, though, when the Cowboys make their official announcement at the quarterback position. I'll tell you this, if Jack comes in and that line drops down to a three, uh, two and a half, I'll like the Rams even more than I do right now. Absolutely. Let's go to across from me now. Pick number one. I'm going to go with the Ravens here, weighing three at home on Sunday against the Bengals. I think this is sort of like the desperation spot was for the Raiders. I think it's for the Ravens coming up because they had a couple of bad losses to Buffalo and Miami over the past few weeks. They usually are a very good home team. The fact they haven't won at home yet is something they're going to try to rectify here. The Bengal line mm-hmm. still is not very good. The Ravens had a lead pass rush here. I think they're going to have a lot of trouble stopping the, stopping the Baltimore run game. I think the better weather will be a factor here for the Ravens as well. Give me Baltimore laying the three on Sunday night for the first pick of the week. I don't mind it. I, I think Baltimore is one of those teams right now some people could develop trust issues with, though. The two games that they maybe looked the best in resulted in major, major blown leads. Cincinnati uh, off in that mini-buy there, but I do think Baltimore is a more talented roster. Absolutely. That's pick number one. Pick number two, I'm going to go with the Vikings. And this is a big six and a half against the uh, Chicago Bears at home. But this is more of an anti-Bear pick. I mean, they don't do much offensively at all. They don't trust Justin Fields to throw the football here. I think Minnesota coming back from that thrilling win in London is going to have an extra win to them this week. 
I don't think Chicago's going to really keep up with that, especially if Dave Montgomery's not back for this game. You don't have the firepower to keep up with slowing down Justin Jefferson that Minnesota running game. I think the Vikings do win this pretty big. Yeah, a nice number getting the six and a half instead of the sevens uh, that are out there. Interesting to see how not only Minnesota does this week, but also the Saints coming off of a London game. Yeah, without the bye, which is very unusual. A lot of these teams take the bye right after they go. Yeah, but we, we didn't see either team do that, which is pretty interesting. I know the Giants are going there. They're also not going to be taking a bye. I'm not sure if Green Bay is or not. They are not because they're playing the Jets at home in week six. Oh, there you go. That's a bye. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. And last pick of the week here. I've every, everybody loves Detroit. Everybody loves their offense. Everybody's all over the Lions. I'm going the other way. I'm going to England laying the three at home. I think that they did Green Bay was very impressive. They played a great defensive game against Ryder and company. And I'll take Bill Belichick out coaching Dan Campbell for the, like every, every day and twice on Sunday here. I think laying three is a bargain. I know they might have Bailey Zappi at quarterback, but Detroit defense is a sieve. I think the Lakers are going to run the football down at the clock this game. I think... This is one where everybody's they're begging you to take the Lions. I'm not going to take the Bay. I'm going to take the Patriots and lay the three points here. It's a, it's a tough game for me to call because I didn't think this was going to be New England minus three. I know there was a slight chance we saw the Lions actually as like a one-point road favorite here. The best offense in the NFL scoring-wise is catching three points to Bailey Zappi. Interesting spot. Yeah, it's a number for me. It's like one of those lines that you say, huh, when you look at it the first time. I think they want people to take Detroit. I'm not going to fall for the trap. All right, well, uh, I will certainly find out. Big Bailey Zappi gets the start. Yeah, we'll see if he does. On the week here, Kevin is going with the Dolphins, laying three and a half in MetLife against the Jets. The Commanders, a two and a half point home underdog against the Titans. The Rams laying four and a half at home against the Cowboys. I am laying the, the Ravens, laying three points on Sunday football against the Bengals. The Vikings laying six and a half at home against the Chicago Bears. And the Patriots laying three at home against the Detroit Lions. Those are your picks for week number five on the podcast. Coming up next week on the podcast, I'm going to have my buddy Kev, go from one count to another. Kevin Lillis is coming on. We're going to talk about the Jets next week. Jets Dolphin recap here. And I think that's going to be a very fascinating game to watch this week. Oh, uh, definitely a big game. And also, by the way, there are there are threes out there. So, I me mean, do whatever you want. Like, you know, you, you can get Miami minus three. Uh, so, uh, as, as always, want to make sure you're uh, accessing the best of the line. Uh, so the Dolphins are a, a three-point favorite. We'll, maybe it'll close at three and a half, but again, those field goal uh, prices are out there. Yeah, I mean, I always shop around for the best price before I lock my bets in for the week. I think it's got to be an optimal strategy here. Yeah, you got to always make sure you're getting uh, the best of the number. Like you said, that, uh, you know, the Minnesota line, right? A lot of mostly, mostly sevens. If you have a six and a half, that's a big advantage. Is a big advantage here. And I'm also wanting to get your opinion on something here. I'm, I'm actually doing something new on the podcast. Too. I'm doing some NBA over-unders on the podcast a couple of weeks while my friend's here. So, mm-hmm. uh, so you're a big NBA guy. you have any that you mm-hmm. like offhand right now? Yeah, so it, it's going to be really um, – it's going to be a really interesting season overall with the title favorite Celtics losing their coach right before – the season gets underway. I just feel like that almost sets the tone for what should be a fascinating year. But one number I have been interested in, Mike, is actually the hometown boy, New York Knicks, and they're 39 and a half. I think that's an improved roster. I think a one-year dip after a really fantastic first season for, was it his first season, Thibodeau? I think it was his first season. I know he won Coach of the Year. Uh, I think we could see a little bounce back for the Knicks, and, and they can play 500 ball, bringing Jalen Brunson 
into town, locking in R.J. Barrett and uh, maybe a bounce back year for Julius Randle. Yeah, it's a fascinating number with the Knicks because, like, again, like you said, like, it's, they did, like, t- they got the big piece in Brunson. They were hoping to get Mitchell out. He didn't work out here. But 39 and a half and an improved East is a very, I feel like it's almost, like, right on the on the line. But if I I would sign for you, just your point here, if see them go over because this town needs some good basketball that's not, like, revolved around the drama like Durant and Kyrie. Yeah, well, I mean, that is the funny thing, though, is that people say the town needs good basketball. And then one of the most talented teams in the entire league is in the town. But uh, people just don't like to associate themselves with that Brooklyn Nets team, and boy, that's going to be a <laughs> it's going to be an interesting watch, uh, Brooklyn. I'm wondering if KD presses the eject button midseason. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he swears up and down he committed to the team. I don't, I don't buy it. Well, I don't think he. I don't even think he swears up and down. He goes, "Ah, oh, these Nets fans, they they know what I'm about." All right, so that means you're about a trade request. That's what you did. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Like someone said, can you commit to this team? And he was like, "Well, they know what I'm about." Oh, so the answer is no, that Katie, which is fine. But I don't know why he's like they know what I'm about. That's actually the incorrect message. Then. Yeah, well, Katie you know, is talking to a different audience than the one we're all learning with here. But Kevin, thanks a lot of time. Really appreciate. It. Before I let you go, can you follow social media? Keep up with your uh, coverage over at Sports Grain. Yeah, appreciate it, Mike. As always, you can find me on Twitter at the Kevin Walsh uh, on Sports Grid all the time. Uh, we've got the morning show, the early line uh, in the afternoon. We're doing some radio with Moneyline, but really also on the weekends. Uh, pro football today on Sundays, taking you up until one o'clock kick, and college football today on Saturdays up to those noon kickoffs. Yeah, I gotta get more to the college football betting. I haven't done that enough. Well, so it's been a fun, fun season. Uh, it's me, it's Joe Lisi, it's Ben Stevens on SportsGrid. 9 a.m. start time college football today. Uh, if you're looking to get more into the college football season, definitely, definitely check us out. I'll definitely be tuning in soon, Kevin. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you got it, Mike. The two-minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time here. Talking uh, the Aaron Judge home run chase, and obviously he's still trying to get to 62. He's coming down to the wire. As of recording on Tuesday afternoon, he has still at 61 home runs. He hit in Toronto last week. There, The fact there's a shot, he may not pass Roger Maris here, and he still has needs to hit one more bomb over his last three games to do that. It's not entirely his fault. Ever since Judge hit 60 against the Pirates on September 20th at home, opposing teams have been very, very careful pitching to him. Entering the Texas series, and Texas and Craig pitched to him last night. He went 0 for 4, but they did not walk him. They gave him up. Op- he went 1 for 4, excuse me. He had opportunities to hit in that game. Judge has drawn 18 walks over the previous 11 games. Lars living him just about two at bats at night. I get Toronto is reflecting on this because it's one of the series here. The Blue Jays are still in contention, something to play for, and they were being very careful with Judge. But the other walks. Game result here of the Pirates, the second game, the Red Sox, especially with those four games over the weekend, and the Orioles simply not wanting to be on the opposite end of history. And that to me is extremely lame. It's against the spirit of competition. I'm not telling you, hey, go throw a meatball and judge hit it. You know, you can pitch to him and not simply just walk him to avoid being the answer to the trivia question. That's horrendous. Baseball talks a lot about we got to grow the game. We have to engage the fans and get people excited about the game. And they've been really pumping this Aaron Judge home run chase thing, which, again, you get debate about what does it say about how they view the actual, like, real record, which Barry Bonds hit while on steroids. It's, it, again, hold it, it can of worms. 
but they're cutting into these bats, and a lot of times these showcases, whether it's on Anthony Network or ESPN, is him staring at four balls and walking to first base. That cowardliness by these teams likely cost the Yankee fans chances he's 61 and probably 62 in person, which also sucks because a lot of people paid big money to get into these games for a shot to witness history, especially if you try to go sit in the bleachers to be able to catch the home run. That would suck. You know, it would also be annoying to say, you know, like, I saw his money, you're not going to get a chance to see him hit. Like, if he makes an out, so be it. But him getting the free pass is a kind of lame way to handle this. If you're the pitcher who's up number 62, it would suck, yes. You would not want to be the guy who's on the YouTube video for the rest of the eternity showing that you gave up the 60-second home run. But you're also remembered that way. You're remembered alongside Aaron Judge. That's pretty cool in itself. Walking to avoid that distinction is cowardly. And I think that as a big pitcher, you want to say, you know what, like, I can get him out. I'm not going to the guy to do it. I'll get him out myself. Passing the buck, really lame. With that, I want to end this week's show. I want to thank our guests. First, Christopher Russo for coming on and talking about the hockey locals. A lot of fun stuff there. So I thank Kevin Walsh from Sports Grid did the Week 5 NFL picks. We'll see if his Eagles can go to 5-0 against the Cardinals this week as well. Mark stuff for this podcast. Good look at the potential Mets playoff roster. You can check out the blog over at suffering.wordpress.com. Check out the Sky Guys podcast. That's also in deep into Andor covered right now. Episode 4 of Andor is out now on the feed. Episode 5 coming this week is going to be out in the Sky Guys feed on Thursday, but you have to wait till the weekend if you want it for, from this feed. So, again, if you like what we got doing on here with the Sky Guys, you don't want to wait for those podcasts, subscribe to the Sky Guys podcast. All the podcast platforms at the top of the show. Also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. It's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next week on the podcast, we have a couple of different episodes. We're going to start off, we'll be back on Monday with a look at the MLB playoffs here. We're also going to take a look at the Redeem Team doc and more. So have a better week than Mets fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.